is Speaking Well. I'm your host, Greg Dickinson. This is the podcast about communication and everyday life. In each episode, we will talk with a communication expert and scholar and explore how communication research can provide resources for navigating complex interactions. We'll talk about relationships in politics, social media and film, public speaking, and private talk. In this podcast, we will offer straightforward but often challenging explorations about communication centrality to our lives. I welcome Elizabeth Williams to this episode of Speaking Well. Elizabeth is an associate professor in the Department of Communication Studies at Colorado State University. She explores higher liability organizations and how those organizations strive to ensure health and safety of their employees. She publishes her work in a wide range of well-regarded academic journals, and in her work with Responder Strong, she applies her research to enhance the mental health of first responders. Elizabeth, it's really great to have you on the conversation on Speaking Well with me today. Can you tell us a bit about what you do here at Colorado State University? Yeah, thanks for having me. I am, as you said, an associate professor. I study organizational and health communication. Uh, so I teach a wide range of classes from our upper division organizational communication class to sections of capstone uh, to an introduction to relational and organizational communication class. That's a core class in our major and I also teach graduate classes in research methods and organizational communication. I am currently our director of undergraduate studies, so that means I get to spend a good chunk of my time thinking about our curriculum and the different programs and professionalization opportunities that we have for our undergraduate students. Great. So you, as everybody I've chatted with so far, um, kind of have lots of hats on your head. Well, I really want to spend some time this time in our conversation talking about your research and how that might influence how we move through our everyday lives. I want to start with this phrase that I used in my introduction for you, high, high reliability organizations, and I'm going to do the classic wrong thing for an interview to do, which is to ask two questions in one. But now you know, so there are two. One, what are high reliability organizations? It's a, it's a great phrase. I'm curious what that is. And then second, what are some of the characteristics of HROs or high reliability organizations that are, are kind of unique to those organizations that make them worthy of studying kind of on their own? Yeah, thank you. So high reliability organizations are these organizations where failure could be catastrophic. So think about air traffic or aircraft carriers, nuclear power plants, healthcare scenarios, um, and then firefighters, which is where a lot of my research has, has fallen. And so these are organizations that seek to be reliable. So they've put in place practices and procedures and processes that help them them avoid errors. And so we have five hallmarks that we look at when we're thinking about a high reliability organization, or like you said, those characteristics. So the first is that these types of organizations are preoccupied with failure. They really are looking for any opportunity where their system could collapse. So they want to be really responsive to what's going on in their environment. Second, they show a reluctance to simplify. So in most organizations, we're really concerned about efficiency, right? We want to be efficient. We want to get things done quickly. 
But in high reliability organizations, we keep our procedures complex and nuanced because we know that we need to be sensitive to and aware of how those procedures might collapse or, or where, where errors might enter. Third, these organizations show a sensitivity to operations where in most organizations we tend to focus on the big picture. In these organizations, we focus on the day-to-day. -day. We really look at how do we develop a situational awareness so, again, we can avoid these failures. Fourth, these organizations defer to expertise. So decisions aren't only made at the top of the hierarchy, but we find ways to give people who have the expertise whether it be from their job duties or the knowledge that they have, we give them the opportunity to make decisions that fall into their areas of expertise, even if they're not the person at the top of the hierarchy. And then finally, these organizations show a commitment to, resili to resilience. So they're able to learn and change and adapt to their environments. So to summarize, I would say, you know, work in high reliability organizations is really marked by having a heightened awareness of the different threats that are in the environment and in the system, and also a heightened commitment to communicating with and learning from those that we work with. You've really clearly given us these five kind of characteristics or hallmarks, you called them, of of these organizations, and it, some of them are ones that I'm, I'm not in one of those organizations, but some, some of those are ones that I feel kind of committed to myself. But it sounds like a kind of a situation where you're really attending to things that could, could cause a lot of harm to yourself and other people and maybe a, a level of stress. I, I'm wondering if there's something that we can learn from these organizations. Uh, obviously, there's there's tons to learn about these organizations in and of themselves, but, but are the things that kind of help you think about how work functions in these organizations, how work work is meaningful, but also how they might, how it functions outside of the organizations? Are there things that you can take from there into other places? Absolutely. So, you know, I think you, you use the phrase meaningful work. And when we think about meaningful work, we really need to kind of remember that there are things both intrinsic and extrinsic to what makes work meaningful. So as we make meaning of our work, we consider both values and expectations and needs that we have individually, but also we start to consider what are cultural assumptions of what work is meaningful. And so through my work with high reliability organizations, I think we can see how tensions can uh, come to exist when we think about what makes work meaningful and how there can be shifts over time. So one example of this, for a recent project, I interviewed several late career firefighters, or those that are nearing retirement. And they shared how their work has changed drastically over the course of their careers. So if you think about this, we've had huge shifts in technology that has really helped us build safer buildings and do more to prevent structural fires. And as those um, changes have occurred, fire departments have really shifted to be more more what they call all hazard departments. And they're also medical first responders. So in most departments, this means that a majority of their calls are medical in nature. 
Okay, and this can um, create a real tension in how individuals see the meaning of their work. So if you think about new recruits to a fire department, most of these individuals are really people who have uh, what we call uh, high sensation seeking. So they want a career that has an element of danger. Certainly they, they choose to be firefighters because they want to help others as well, but a big part of being a firefighter is that that danger component and they spend a significant amount of time training for those scenarios because they're a member of a high reliability organization. However, when they get into the day-to-day -day life of their work in the fire station, they have a much different work experience. So one of the individuals that I had a conversation with talked about watching new recruits come in the first few days out of the fire academy and not having a fire to respond to at all, but instead going on 20 different calls to a nursing home. And so that how they make sense of the work that they're doing versus the work that they're training for is really um, at tension there, right? And so I would argue, and many of my colleagues in organizational communication have wrote about and studied meaningful work, right? And they would also argue that these tensions are inherent in how we construct what is meaningful work. So as we're making meaning of our work, we don't just consider positive aspects of our job, but we also consider you know, where things don't quite line up, where there are mismatched expectations, or where we might face different moral dilemmas or societal pressures. And so I think it's that notion of tension and temporality um, that's really something we don't talk enough about in our day-to-day -day conversations when we're talking about what makes work meaningful. You talk about the that tension, tension and temporality that, that kind of is in the everyday practices of our work that makes makes life uh, or makes work meaningful or might make it not meaningful or meaningful in ways that we don't want. It, it strikes me that in much of our life in the last year, but in particular in our work lives or in our school lives, for those of us who are full-time students, what what constitutes work or what constitutes school is really different, at least the modalities by which we do that, the ways in which we interact. And that, that's a very strongly temporal notion. Uh, it's also a, a very place-based notion because how, how we're, where we're doing our work has really changed. I know you've been part of the social norming group at Colorado State University, and I imagine a number of universities have had groups like this that try to develop communication strategies around public health on campus. And as I thought about that, and as I thought about this notion of meaningful work and what you just talked about in terms of how we make sense of the world as it's kind of unfolding with us, I was wondering if there's a way in which you could talk about how we're making meaning of work or perhaps study in this era of COVID. What are some of the issues that face us in these COVID workplaces that maybe your work with high reliability organizations can shed light on? Yeah, you know, it's really interesting. I was working with I have been working with this social norming committee. I continue to work with it for the last year. I've been incredibly fortunate to work with this group. It's pulled people from all across campus, um, from student life, from housing, from the health network, as we're trying to promote these health behaviors around COVID. And I had been working in this group for quite some time before I started 
realizing, you know, we're really enacting these principles of high reliability organizations. And that just kind of reaffirmed for me that while a lot of times those principles are thought of as too time consuming or too expensive or too uh, have too much of an emotional toll um, for non-HRO organizations to adopt them. I think that in a moment of extended crisis like we find ourselves in, and it's important I think to, to note that despite the passage of a year, we're still working during a pandemic. Um, so we are in an extended crisis. And so at the at in these moments, uh, these principles of high reliability organizations can really help us think through how our organizations are responding. We've had all of these organizations that are now seen as essential, universities included. And in that, we see that the stakes of failure are heightened. Right. So if we don't prevent or contain the spread of the virus on campus, we could have something um, catastrophic occur. So all of a sudden we see these essential organizations adopting these HRO principles. And so examples from this in the social norming committee, right? So we brought together a diverse group of individuals, including students, right? So we have student voices uh, on this committee as we're trying to understand or create a situational awareness of student behaviors on campus. We've really, in that committee, developed structures and practices to promote responsiveness to the environment, uh, to create that heightened situational awareness, and we really have been committed to continually learning and changing. And I think that we're seeing this in all different types of essential organizations, from grocery stores to restaurants to our um, K through 12 schools. And that's not just not just causing us to adjust how we work, but also through those adjustments, I would say that we're left to think about the meaning of our work and how that's shifted as well. And that's created all sorts of emotions for us that we're having to deal with as individuals and organizations. I know there's uh, reports of fatigue. I think we, we've all felt that at some point during the last year. Questions of how long this is going to last. How sustainable is it to operate at this high level for so long? You know, you, you you named a couple of things that I've really been thinking quite a bit about, and, and in particular during this conversation, the kind of um, heightened sense of the stakes of my everyday uh, my everyday actions, mass, mask wearing or distancing or uh, working from my basement as I am today or, or at the office as I am on many Mondays and Tuesdays, that leads to a kind of a, a heightened sense of, of uh, how I get my work done. But then also the ways in which my relationships with my, my coworkers has changed. And in particular, the kind of um, ability to have those uh, kind of um, accidental conversations that, that seem so important. When you think about all these things that we've just talked about, so, so we've, we've kind of moved fairly quickly from what a high, high reliability organization is and what are their characteristics to the ways in which many of those characteristics are now showing up in our, in our everyday lives, those of us who are not members of HROs as part of our daily life. When you think about all that, if you think, okay, the listeners has listened, what, what should I do? How, how should I act? What, what are a couple of um, tricks that I might be able to use from this research that might make my day go a little more smoothly or I can live it a little more consciously? What would one or two ideas be? 
I think you just pointed out a really important one, right? That it's much more difficult right now to have those relationships because we're not running into people. But we also know that's how we learn in organizations. We learn from others and learning from others is really important. So one thing that I would suggest is be really deliberate in making time for your relationships and checking in with your colleagues and learning from them about how they're doing the work that needs to be done right now. I also think going back to remembering that work is inherently full of tensions and making sense of the meaning of our work, right? It's something that we strive to do. Um, it's important for us in our culture to have a job that's meaningful, right? That's what society tells us. But also keep in mind um, kind of the holistic view of our lives, right? And so at times we'll feel those tensions as we make sense of our work um, and its meaning and understand that's a temporal um, element. Um, so I like to think of it as, as seasons. In some seasons, work makes sense, and I'm very fulfilled by it. And in other seasons, it doesn't make as much sense. Um, and I rely on other parts of my life to find that meaning. So I think those would be the two things that I um, would hope that listeners would take away, that focus on um, relationships as an opportunity for learning and also keeping in mind, which is really hard a year into this pandemic, but that it is, there is a temporal element to it. I appreciate both of those, that intentional reaching out to folks. Um, and, and what I heard you say is, is reach out so that you be, can be connected, but maybe you can learn something from somebody else about how work might proceed in meaningful ways. And then, and then that notion of, of a season, we're in a really long season of crisis and, and, and difficulty and we're not sure where where the end is but that doesn't mean our work isn't meaningful or that our connections with each other aren't important elizabeth it's been great to chat with you on on this episode of speaking well I'm really moved by some of the wisdom that you've been able to share with us so thank you very much for taking time out of your day to join us thank you for having me Speaking Well is a production of the Department of Communication Studies and the College of Liberal Arts at Colorado State University. Carol Bush as the producer and the podcast is recorded and engineered at the studios of KCSU at Colorado State University. I'm your host, Greg Dickinson. Until next time, be well.